Okay. Um, greetings to everyone who has been here for the first time this morning, or maybe just the second time. Uh, we're glad you're here to worship the Lord with us. Uh, we're going to be. We prayed this morning for all those who did not come because of the uh, impending weather. Uh, they're with us in spirit. Uh, and I do want you to know also this morning we prayed for and will continue to pray for God's protection over this property. We live in a crazy world. We live in a world that is not only against everything that is right and pure and holy, but specifically anti-Semitic. And so um, as you come into this place, I want you to know that we prayed for this place from the time it comes off of Muncaster Road through all the 10 acres that we um, own here, through every room, every hallway, and every nook and cranny uh, of this building. I want you to know that we've prayed for protection, and I would ask you to pray for it as well uh, when you're here with us. Amen? Amen. I had a very interesting week uh, this past week. Uh, For those of you, I'm sure all of you know, but for the ones who do not know, um, besides being the uh, congregational leader of Son of David Congregation. Uh, I'm also on staff with Chosen People Ministries. My title is Mid-Atlantic Regional Director. I have responsibility uh, for the ministry down into the Carolinas, uh, up close to New York, uh, and all the way over to the uh, eastern shore of Maryland uh, and Virginia. And um, there's not too many huge Jewish communities in West Virginia, so I don't do much over there except maybe speak at churches on Sundays. And we meet three times a year as a leadership advisory team to go over what's happening with the ministry, to go over um, things that need to be communicated to the staff, and so on and so forth. But each year in January, at the January meeting, the congregational leaders that are associated with Chosen People Ministries, and there are about 15 or 16 of us in North America, we stay for an extra day. Uh, Just to meet as congregational leaders, just to meet to share our burdens, to share our prayers, to share our thoughts, to go over ideas of how to make congregational life more worshipful and more effective and more focused in the goal of outreach to the Jewish people in whatever area uh, that we live in. We started on Wednesday night, and Wednesday night was a time for just all of us to share absolutely nothing about our congregation, but absolutely everything about ourselves and our families. I wish you could have been there. There wasn't one congregational leader, including myself, that wasn't touched by some major issue in life. Spouses who have died in the past year. Issues of cancer with family, children who have gone off the deep end and are now drug addicts or in jail because of being a drug addict. And I was reminded of what was said to me many, many years ago here at Son of David Congregation uh, by a gentleman who was an elder at that time, Peter Gorog. You might know who Peter Gorog is. It was right after the congregation had installed me as an elder And he said to me in his um, Hungarian accent, which sounds a lot like Henry Kissinger, he said, uh, Dennis, do you know what everyone at Son of David congregation has in common? I said, no, Peter, what is that? 
He said they're all dealing with something. We're all dealing with something. It's refreshing to know that we're all dealing with something. Because when you come into this place, if you find somebody in a mood that you thought they shouldn't be in, please remember, we're all dealing with something. I know we're not supposed to receive texts on Saturday morning, but I had to look at the text that I got from my son Sam this morning, who has now been turned down for the third time of, of jobs that he's applied for, for reasons that we can't understand. We're all dealing with something. Our dear sister Hillary, who's been here once in the last three months, is still dealing with extreme pain in her back and her legs that the doctors can't seem to get rid of very quickly. We're all dealing with something. There are members of our congregation who have spouses who don't want them to be here. We're all dealing with something. And as we as leaders sat down and literally for two hours this past Wednesday night prayed for the needs of each of our families, it would be good if we as Son of David prayed for the needs of our families as well. If you're not on the email list, you don't get the prayer letter that comes out from Julie whenever there are prayer requests that are turned into the congregation congregation. Please don't be the type of person that reads the, uh, the email of the prayer request and goes, oh my goodness, that's too bad. Please be one who reads the prayers and prays for the needs of our congregation. As you come in and you see someone that might be hurting, please don't pass them by. Ask them how you can pray for them. And this morning... We used to pray before the service in the rabbi's office down the hall. The Lord impressed upon me the fact that that's praying, hiding from the rest of the congregation. And so today we prayed in the lobby. And praise God, three people joined us that haven't joined us before. If you're here at 1015 in the morning and you want to join us in prayer, please, there can never be too many prayerful prayers and too many prayerful people covering this service, covering this place before we begin our Shabbat morning worship. But also as the reality of suffering among all of our leaders came to my heart, the need to understand what a leader is also came to my heart. And oh, by the way, I'm not just talking about congregational leaders this morning. I'm talking about leaders in families, Leaders in relationship, leaders in jobs, whether you're the big kahuna or a leader of a small department. I think every one of us as leaders needs to understand what I call the four L's of leadership. That's the title of the message this morning as we take a break from the book of Jacob. The four L's of leadership. And so this morning, please turn with me. In the book of First Timothy. First Timothy. We'll be reading and looking at chapter one, verses one to thirteen. And if you would stand with me, please, as I read God's word. 
Paul, an apostle of Yeshua HaMashiach, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, our hope. God our Savior and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love, love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious good news of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, violently arrogant man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Amen. Be seated. The four L's of leadership. I guess that kind of makes it five L's if you count leadership, right? Here are the four L's that we'll be talking about this morning. Lord. Love. The law. And labor. Lord. Love. Law. And labor. The first one is Lord. Paul, an apostle of Yeshua HaMashiach, by the commandment of our God and Savior and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, our hope, to Timothy. He was telling Timothy what he needed to know as Timothy was about to engage in leadership. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. From God our Father and Yeshua HaMashiach our Lord. Please understand, as we said this morning in the Parsha, it's all about God. It's not about us. It's all about our Lord. It's not about us. It's all about the work of the Spirit. It's not about us. If you don't believe me, go back to the first words in the book of Genesis, where God the Father used God the Son as the living Word to proclaim things into existence after the Spirit had hovered over the earth and brought everything into creation. 
That's the starting point. That's the foundation stone. That's where it all begins. It's where it all ends and everything in between. If as leaders of communities, leaders of congregations, leaders of homes, or leaders at job and work, if we do not understand the foundation of God, then we've lost our way and we're ineffective in leading other people to live godly lives no matter where they are. I love the words in John chapter 1. In beginning, and by the way, the, the true translation is not in the beginning. Because you kind of get the sense that that was the start of everything. No, God was here before the beginning. In beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. God was here before anything was here. He took what was void. He took what had absolutely no order. And he filled it and gave it order. And God is still in the work and the job of filling things and giving it order. Especially congregations. I hope that you are here because of God. Not because of the Onik Shabbat. Not because we finally own our building, and certainly not because yours truly gives the most amazing messages in the world, because I don't. I just speak my heart. We're here because of God. He's the foundation stone. His Son is the Savior. The Spirit is the instructor, the helper, the convictor, not the condemner, the convictor of our souls. As leaders, we need to understand that without the foundation of God, we try to do leadership on our own. And you know what? Leadership on our own just doesn't work right. We can tend to be heavy-handed. We can tend to motivate by guilt, by fear, by power, by punishment, as opposed to motivating by the will of God who provides instruction, and who provides hope, and who allows us to lead in peace as opposed to lead in strife. The first L is Lord. It needs to be the beginning, the middle, and the end of all our leadership. And the second L is love. Follow along with me in verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. The first lesson that a congregational leader needs to learn is not how to deliver a good sermon. It's not how to good, be a good religious CEO. It's not how to pre- plan fundraising activities or Passover seders or Sukkot picnics 
or Sukkot tent camps like we're going to have next year on Sukkot. The first thing that a congregational needs to learn is how to love. Is how to love. Because without love, without understanding that everybody in this room is as important to me as anybody else is, without understanding that everybody in this room deserves the same love as I hope I get, without understanding that in this room God's love permeates only if the people accept God's love and share it with everybody else, without that understanding, without the love of God, we're just a bunch of people that get together on Saturday mornings. And this is especially true not just for leaders, but for teachers. Son of David Congregation has been here for how many years now? I can't tell you how many people have walked into this building for the first time and said, you know what, I really love your congregation. I want you to know that I'm really good at Bible studies. I volunteer to be a Bible, a, a, uh, an adult uh, education teacher. To which I was taught to say, we really have need for people to clean the bathrooms. What? But I'm a teacher. Well, that's fine. Once we understand what you believe... Once we understand how you teach, once we understand what your faith is and what it is that you're trying to share with people, once we understand all those things, how about loving the people in this congregation by serving them? And one of the best ways to serve them right now is helping us to clean and stock the bathrooms. And what usually happens is you never see them again. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) How many remember Patricia statue? Patricia statue never had a uh, formal title, but she was the head of the bathroom ministry. And Patricia would come in every morning at least 40 minutes before the service started and would go through every bathroom in the building, make sure that it had enough toilet paper, make sure that it had paper towels, made sure that there was soap in the soap dispenser, made sure that the trash cans were clean for the start of the service. Now you say, well, how is that a ministry? How many of you have ever walked into a synagogue or a church for the, same time, at, for the first time with young children? Ladies, how many? One? Oh, we only got two? Three? Four? Where's the first place you go? The bathroom. Because you're still a little uncomfortable. At least you know in the bathroom you've got some private space. Plus you probably want to make sure that your kids are taken care of. What happens if you go into the bathroom and you find it a mess and dirty? Sets the whole tone for the morning, doesn't it? What happens if you go into the bathroom and you find it clean? And you find it fresh? And you find that there's no trash on the floor? And you find, like in this building, there's this pretty wallpaper... You know what? In your mind, you just might thinking, I bet the rest of the building's like this too. This might not be a bad place after all. And you've actually set your heart in motion. Actually, what Patricia did was she set hearts in motion to be able to appreciate the worship here and to receive what the Lord had for them today. By the way, we have people who do that here at Son of David Congregation. I don't want you to think that we don't, including myself.
As a matter of fact, this morning, as we were going through the bathrooms, three of us bumped into each other at the entrance to the men's and the women's bathrooms. We were all doing the same thing. Love. Love is the key. God didn't just say it. So did the Beatles. It must be true. The purpose of the commandment is love. What commandment do you think he's talking about? Actually, two of them. The Hebrew is viahavta, and you shall love. We chant it every morning. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then in the Brit Hadashah, we also find that when Yeshua was asked what is the greatest commandment, he says, that's it, and oh, by the way, there's another one. V'yahavta l'reacha kamocha. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you find phrases, when you find words that complement each other from different parts of the scripture, you need to understand that they are one in meeting. You can't love God if you don't love your fellow man. And I believe it's impossible to love your fellow man if you don't love God, because they're one and the same. There's another example of that in the scripture. It's found in the Ten Commandments, the scripture regarding the Sabbath, Shabbat. On the one hand, in Exodus, we're told to remember the Shabbat. But on the other hand, in Deuteronomy, we're told to observe Shabbat. So which is it? Are we supposed to remember it, or are we supposed to observe it? Yes. Because to remember the meaning of the Shabbat is to observe it. And to observe it properly, with the right heart, is to remember. And love is the same. Now I will tell you that that was a hard one for me to learn. Anybody else join me? Don't put your hand up. (laughs) (laughs) And this was one of the reasons. Please hear me. This is not by way of condemnation. It's by way of conviction. It's hard to love other people if you don't love yourself. It's hard to love other people if you don't love yourself. And there are too many of us who don't love ourselves because we feel we're undeserving, because we feel we're not qualified, not capable, whatever else you want to put in there that defines your own personal circumstance. Do you know how loved each one of us is? So loved that God sacrificed the most precious thing that he had his very own son. That's how much we're loved. And if we understand that, remember that's the first L, the Lord. If we understand that love and believe it, not just understand it, but believe it, then that love that is now implanted in our heart and in our soul can be transferred to loving people around us. Dear ones, the first step in loving someone else is loving yourself. And I'm not talking about it in a selfish way. It's loving yourself because God loved you first. Scripture is very clear. We can only love because God first loved us. And where does love come from? Verse 5. A pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. A pure heart. Now everybody knows 
that Paul is not talking about the muscle that's inside your chest beating and having blood flow through your entire body. That would be a healthy heart. Pure? I'm not so sure. We know that in the Hebrew mindset, the heart refers to the mind, the thought process. What does it mean to have a pure heart? To have a heart that has no malice in it. To have a heart that has no condescension in it. To have a heart that has no mean spirit in it. To have a heart that wants to do what's right. Even though sometimes we don't. Just like Paul didn't. You know the famous verse from Scripture, Paul's do I diddy verse? <laughs> I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. Do I diddy diddy dum diddy do? You know that verse. We're all there. We all sometimes do things we don't want to do. But praise God, He's there to forgive us when we do. From a pure heart. And from a good conscience. You know, your conscience can tell you you're messing up, and that's good. The problem is, when your conscience tells you you're messing up and you don't do anything about it, that's not good. Because the conscience is used by the Spirit to convict our soul that we're doing something wrong so that we can correct it by either confession or repentance or simply an act of kindness that we know we should have done and didn't. And finally, a sincere faith. A sincere faith. Is there anybody that doesn't have trouble with that? Or is it just me? You? You're supposed to be the rabbi. How can you sometimes struggle with sincere faith? Well, when I look around the world, sometimes I wonder where God is. When I look at a situation in my family, I wonder sometimes where God is. When I get a text as the worship service is going on for my son who writes, it just seems like I can't catch a break. I wonder where God is. But the sincerity of our faith also realizes the doubts in our heart. And God is bigger than doubt. And God is bigger than the problems of our families. And the sincerity of our faith, I think, also means to be honest with ourselves about our faith. If there's somebody in this room this morning that never doubts, would you please come up here and take my place? I don't think it exists. I don't think it exists. So the first L is Lord. The second L is love. And the third L is the law. This is where we get into trouble. Follow along with me as I read beginning in verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, knowing this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, 
but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. And then I'm going to go on and on and on, and I really can't read the rest of it because it makes me sick. But finally it says, verse 11, The law is made for everything that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious good news of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Law, from a proper biblical messianic perspective, does not mean legalism. The law was written, the law was purposed, the motive of the law was to reveal sin. Not to reveal who doesn't cross their T's and dot their I's. Do you follow me? I may get myself into trouble here. But it won't be the first time. I believe we're supposed to worship on Shabbat. I believe Shabbat is Saturday. But I have no ill feeling for brothers and sisters who worship on Sunday. If they do it from a pure heart that believes in their heart, that's the day they're to worship God. Will I do it? No. Unless I find myself in the future in some city that has no Messianic congregation and the synagogue there doesn't welcome me because I'm not going to hide my faith. But the law is not made for us to point fingers at believers and say, you do this, but you shouldn't. You do this, but you shouldn't. I do this because I follow the law. No, the law is made to be used lawfully, which is to reveal sin. Not to reveal who's a Shabbat keeper and not. Do you follow me? When you do something wrong, the law, the scripture, the word of God will reveal to you why it's wrong. The law was put in place to keep order. The law was put in place also to separate a people from the rest of the world. What do you think kept the Jewish people together all of those years. Obviously the word, the answer is the hand of God. I understand that. But he made the Jewish people peculiar, different, a little mishuga, <laughs> strange, set apart, so that no matter where they were dispersed, no matter what community they were in, they still had the identity of the chosen people of God, not because they were anything so special, but because simply God chose them. Oh, by the way, everyone in here is chosen by God, and you weren't chosen because you were anything so special. I got the t-shirt. I wore it out for 41 and a half years. The law is made to reveal sin. The law is made so that when a brother or sister is in sin... when a brother or sister is not behaving like a godly man or woman should behave... We can tell them, don't you know that God's word says about this particular issue that this is the way you should act and not this is the way, and not act this way. I may be wrong, but I don't consider a dear brother or sister going to a church on a Sunday sinful. In error, yes. That's my position. But not sinful. God forbid me if I should use the law to berate someone who goes to a church on a Sunday morning. 
I'm telling you, there will be Sunday morning church glowers sitting closer to the throne and throwing more crowns than me when I get there. Lord, love, law, labor. Another word to say that is service. A laborer. Follow along with me as I read from verse 12 and 13. And I thank Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, who has enabled me, who has enabled me. By the way, what's the use of being enabled if you don't work? Who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, a violently arrogant man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Labor. You know what the scripture says about people who don't work? They don't eat. Is anybody here spent the last 20 years of their lives not working, not making any money, but they still have a roof over their head and food to eat. In Hebrew, there's a word for it, shtuyot. I love Hebrew and Yiddish. The words express what they really mean. Shtuyot means stupid. That's ridiculous. Why would it be any different in a congregation? Why would it be any different in your home? Why would it be any different at your work? We are all enabled, hopefully, by God to do a specific work depending on the specific place that he has us at any specific time, in any specific location, at any specific job. We all have to do something. Does anybody here work at a job, show up at 9 o'clock in the morning, and sit at their desk and do nothing until 5? Stuyot. Stupid. You know what happens to that person? The next week they sit at home from 8 to 5 to do nothing. Should it be any different in anything we do? Should it be any different here at Son of David Congregation? Dear ones, I don't say this by way of condemnation. I say it by way of conviction. Should anyone here at Son of David Congregation come here at 1030, sit down, worship, sing, put their envelope in the offering box, and then do nothing else the rest of the day except eat egg downstairs, not help clean up, and not do anything during the week? Answer, no. No. We are all enabled by God with specific gifts or gift. And the gift is to be used. We are to be laborers. We are to be laborers in the, in the vineyard. We are to be laborers in our jobs. We are to be laborers in our homes. We are to be laborers in the congregation. And you know what the best thing is about when you work? Especially when you're working for the benefit of, the, of others? It takes your mind off your own stuff. You ever notice that? I've been told, and I've put it into practice, the best thing to do when you're feeling bad about yourself is to do something for somebody else. The best thing you can do when you're really struggling with finances is to put money in the offering box anyway. What? Do you know why? Poor people can't give. 
And as long as you have a poor mentality, a poor mindset, you can't give. But if your mindset is one of the richest as being a child of God, then there's always something in your pocket to put in that offering box. Laborers. I love when Paul says that the Lord enabled him. The Lord gave him instruction. The Lord gave him wisdom. The Lord gave him the ability. You've heard this quote so many times, you're going to hear it again. God is not looking for people with ability. God is looking for people with availability. Are you available? I love when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim sang back and forth to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the cold, you remember, came from the altar and touched his lips and atoned for his sins. And then the Lord said, Who will go for me? And what did Isaiah say? I'm available. Hineni in Hebrew literally means, Behold me. Who's available? I am. There's two I am's. There's a capital I am and a small I am. The capital I am is the one who serves. The small I am is us. It's us who say, I am available. I am here. I am ready for your enablement for me to do what you would have me to do in whatever place it may be. He enabled me. Why? Paul says, because he counted me faithful. Faithful to do the will of God. Faithful to understand the goals of God. Faithful to understand the love of God. Faithful to share the love of God. Because he found me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although, oh, please look at verse 13. Although I was formerly, well, you fill in the blank in your life. What was Paul before God had him take on his Damascus Road experience? He was a blasphemer? Wait. You mean God can use a blasphemer? Apparently so. He was a persecutor? You mean God can use somebody who looks down on other people, condemns them, convicts them, and makes them feel like trash? Apparently so. An insolent, violent, and arrogant man? The reason I went, is because yours truly used to be that. An insolent, violent, arrogant, condescending man. And the reason why was because that's how you got ahead in the world. But Paul goes on to say, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. The unbelief that he's talking about here goes right back to the four L's. Ignorant of the fact that the Lord is the foundation and the beginning of ending of everything. 
ignorant of the fact that without love, we really don't understand what loving the Father is and what the love of the Father is. Ignorant because we probably use the law unlawfully to condemn rather than convict, to put down rather than to raise up. And finally, unbelief because we didn't realize that the good news was made so that we could be, without any work of our own, be blessed as children of God to do the work of God. To do the work of God. And so I don't know um, what parts of verse 13 correspond to your life pre-belief. But you know what? It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because the person that I was before I came to faith is dead. 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 Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, We have been crucified with Messiah. Crucifixion is death. It is no longer, Paul says, I who live, but Messiah who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's my prayer this morning that everyone here can say the same of themselves. You have died with him. You were buried with him. And God raised you up with him. New birth. Not better me. New me. Not old and not so good me and new and made better me. No, brand new me. Even though sometimes I don't act like it. As I'm sure most of you here can attest to. Are you a leader in your house? Are you a leader at work? Are you a leader in anything at all? Please remember that that leadership requires the Lord and love and the law and labor. Let us all take that to heart. If we do, this place and whatever other place you're at will be much better for it. We will be able to lift up our Messiah and allow him to draw people unto himself. Would you all say together with me, please? Amen.